fear. Let's talk about fear. Welcome to Urgy, the newly renamed podcast about the arts, uh, collaboration, leadership, and, and other life stuff. Sometimes football and surfing, for example. Uh, with me, Jacob Zimmer and Vicky Stroich. Uh, you can find us on the internet at smallwoodenshoes slash Urgy, and you can subscribe on iTunes and other places good podcasts are found. Uh, this is sort of episode one of a new way of doing things. Hello. Hello. I hope uh, uh, you like it. Hello. And all love test. I feel like Urgy is. It's just funny. I like Urgy. Yeah? You've convinced me. Oh, yeah? I think it's funny. It, I think it's just sort of meaningless and funny, but meaningful. It's meaningless and funny, but very meaningful. And I looked up, I looked on the, I looked at the link to metallurgy and looked up Urgy as a, what do you call that? I, I should know. Etymology? The etymology of it, but no, like the, um, do-do, Urgy, Google search. Um, it's a suffix. Suffix, yes. That's the word I was looking for. As a suffix, which is basically just work. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, I think it's, I like it. All right. The Urgy podcast. <laughs> uh, but are you, in all seriousness, you're a, you're a hard G proponent, right? Oh, right like it's that's... always dramaturgical and it's always dramaturgy. If you call yourself a dramaturg or dramaturge, like, right. it's okay. So I think, that, I think the hard G issue is only about the title. I don't think it's actually about the work. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. Uh, so origin stories, origin stories. I was thinking about uh, because I was remembering at some point, even before I was thinking we should talk about this, I was remembering that we met because you called me to tell me I didn't get into something. We had submitted maybe perhaps in a hundred years to sub to something, the big early days of stage two mm-hmm. at playwrights. I think you and I met, you and I might have met at the oh. at the Vancouver LMDA right. conference very briefly, yeah. and then, yeah, I wonder, you yeah, it might have been that you submitted that, or I, there was, and then there was a uh, delightful mix up that happened. I seem to remember between <clears throat> uh, ATP and um, and maybe the high performance rodeo. Yeah, so I think yeah, we had submitted perhaps in a hundred years to the, to that, and then we had chatted. Mm-hmm. And we had chatted about dedicated a little bit. And right. And you had even maybe right. written me a letter that said, like, I am tracking this project. Um, yes. Because it was the point that I'm still at in my career where those kind of things are helpful. Uh, and maybe that's, yeah, anyways, that's helpful for everyone. But uh, so I had gotten a letter from you guys saying that. And then that had, and then I, Michael Green saw the first dedicated show um, mm-hmm. at Buddies at Rhubarb, and so I think. And I think yeah, because I, you guys had you, you had sub, you had submitted something, and um, and I really I really loved the, yeah, and I really loved the work. And I was excited about the work, and then. And so I think we got in touch that way. And then a few years later, I actually had to call you because there was some mix up where I felt like somebody had told you we could do something that we couldn't. And I Mm. was like, 
I'm not, I can't email this guy. Right. I can't email Jacob and just say, um, <laughs> uh, right. Hey, there's been a mix up. I was like, I kind of have to, cause I hate, I, you know what? I don't emails hard for me. Right. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a talky person. Mm-hmm. And so I remember thinking to myself, I can't possibly just email you and be like, Hey, <clears throat> yeah, guess what? There's been a mix up. We're not going to do that thing after all that you might think maybe we're doing, right. but we're not. So I was like, how do I express that? And I thought, oh, I'm just going to call. Um, so yeah, I, I made the phone call and we've been friends ever since. I think so. But I think it was even earlier. Like I think you had made the phone call mm. with perhaps in a hundred years. I was like, I oh, yeah, randomly submitted to my, and I think it was also for me, it was, I remember that because I was like, oh, I didn't imagine that ATP. Like I thought you were more like Neptune. Um, where I wouldn't have gotten a phone call to tell me to please fuck off. Like the, that, uh, you know. Uh, I, but I only called people that I, I only called people whose work I actually liked. Um, no, and I and appreciate I that. And I think that's smart. Work. Yeah. And well, I, I mean, like, and I, I call, think, sometimes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you've never received a call from Vicky. <laughs> I take it really personally. Take it really personally. And so we met, yeah, doing that stuff. ATP was the cool dramaturgs theater there for ever i like a, or like i met it i met it as like you might think big you calgary think theater you know cool, like you know what I, yeah i mean <laughs> i'm from i'm from calls, some combination of halifax toronto and vancouver like mm-hmm. calgary doesn't necessarily get the most upfront love an no, assumption of like interestingness. No, Calgary. Uh, Calgary has only recently started to acquire that sense of interestingness elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So and uh, and I, I, I of course encountered you as a as a fan of of the work and like with a real curiosity about what you were doing and, and the groups the groups of people that you were putting together and how you guys were how you guys were working together and what you were creating together mm-hmm. and the relationship to the audience which i thought was really kind of interesting and exciting and and felt you know right to me as somebody in my in my position and in my generation like it appealed to me it appealed to me on a lot of mm-hmm. levels um in a way that i'm not you know like a, i'm not sure whether it, whether it when i think back about the way that other, you know, other people in my organization might have encountered the work, um, they might not have, uh, they might not have, they may not have appreciated it in the same way that that I appreciate mm-hmm. it because um, because I, you know, I did have a strong personal feeling towards the work as well as something I went, oh, this is the kind of thing that this is the kind of room I'd like to spend time in, right? Um, in a way that, uh, as much as I love spending time in a theater hearing a story. Um, this this appeals to me this appeals to me greatly and so that that enc- that encounter and and of course that conversation you know off and on over however many years that's been now jacob um yeah that conversation continues you know informally and formally and now in the form of a podcast yeah and now in the form of a podcast uh yeah yeah and thanks for saying all that that question of of what kind of what kind of room and and how to work together? I mean, I think that's that to me is the sort of thing in the phone call and oh oh we can keep working together and chat having that conversation mm-hmm. over time. Um, we can continue to do that and being like 
the weird but competent kids at the table in uh, the dramaturgy stuff. And that, that, you know, the other beautiful thing about the work that we do or that I think should be about the work that we do is, um, and I, you know, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate, I'm fortunate and, and in an interesting position because I've, in my career, I've only ever been in a position of, of saying yes and no to things, <clears throat> um, which is a really weird place to be. And I'm very, very lucky. I'm very lucky. Um, but, uh, but the thing that always means a lot to me is when, when, uh, <clears throat> when I, when I, when there's something I appreciate about something and that, uh, knowing, you know, whether or not it's, whether or not it ended up being a fit wherever I was or not, that, that conversation could continue and that there's something that, that is, you know, there's a, a longer appreciation or a longer, a sense of relationship when it comes to um, actually finding people whose um, sensibility or aesthetic is uh, maybe not the same as yours, but but uh, extremely interesting and continually a, a source of curiosity and and um, and renewal. That you can whether you said yes or no, you can still have that conversation, and that those those relationships find the most interesting manifestations, like years and years down the road. There's so many people who I started talking to because we did or did not do their work and um, that I still love having conversations with and that I've, I've since worked with. And uh, that's, what I, that's what I love about, you know, that's where, the, and that, you know, again, the origin story, our origin story brings us to, brings us to, to urgy. To urgy. Yeah. Yeah. To doing the work. And I think also doing like the... <laughs> One of the things that I very much appreciated, I think both in that dedicated conversation and, and in the perhaps, was that that was very clear that that desire to keep working didn't prevent you from also being very clear about the no, mm -hmm. uh, which then helped the desire to keep working. You and I are more able to talk because I'm like, oh, I have a sense that if, if Vicky thinks a project is right, she might tell me. And if she, if I wanted to pitch something, I would know, I would understand that the relationship would be transparent between what is our friendship and our conversation about art and what is your position as a selector of things. Um, and, yeah. I, and I trust that you are pretty explicit about that stuff and that you don't, you don't think it will be easier for me if you keep saying maybe. No. Um, I, I've always felt really strongly about that <clears throat> that sense of honesty and not le not leading people down a path like because there's the thing is too is that there's so many I, I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes or at least I get the sense it doesn't feel like it but there's so many options besides there's so many other curators besides me mm -hmm. you know and there's so many other um, there's so many other places besides the theater company I work at um, there's so many other options for people that I go, if, if people are still hoping for the, uh, for my option and I, and I can't give it to them, then, uh, and I'm not telling them that, then they're not, then how actively can they pursue anything else? And how, how actively am I actually supporting their work by keeping them on the line? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I've always found that really, really tricky. And, um, and I, I'm sure other people who are, have been in my position may see it much differently than I do, but mm -hmm. I feel like that's, and 
uh, as a you know as a dramaturg too quite frankly um as somebody who works works with people on cr- the creation of things um for audiences or for for other people i feel like um one has to be one has to be very uh honest and there's ways to be there's ways to be honest and clear that are not um that that's are still supportive that are still supportive yeah, and that, that are meant to be because I, you know what i want is what i want is for there to be good art um what i want ultimately i mean it's it's that higher it's that it's that's you know why did i get into it to begin with because i right. want there to be really good performance out there and um and a range of really good performance and i'm not the only person who who's the like arbiter of that so um you know uh, if I, you know, if I feel like something's a fit somewhere else, I'll always set it somewhere else, or, or make sure that it goes somewhere else, because I, I want it to thrive, and I'm not the only way to do that. So being honest, oh man, being honest is the most, it's the most valuable thing you can do in any process. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's yeah, uh, that that to me is is that level of honesty is is also at the heart of dramaturgy and collaboration. Mm-hmm. But that don't make it easy. No. Um, and it's always scary to say it's scary to say no, yeah. but sometimes you have to. Yeah, it's funny. I've been thinking about clarity, uh, clarity and ambiguity a bunch, partially because of Japan, like because of the need for a huge mm-hmm. amount of clarity. Working with actors who don't speak English and yes. having a week to stage a show, and so needing <laughs> not not time to fuck around so thinking about efficiency and effectiveness and and simplicity and struggling with those cuz i think partially artistically i make part of one of the ways in which i work is that we make like pretty inefficient processes and and they end up being effective but their inefficiency like it is not the most efficient way to describe the Newtonian revolution right. is not with like a set of ping pong racket. Like we make some choices that are challenging to, to our efficiency. And then so often I'm not, I'm not necessarily an efficiency fan, but needing to be so clear, needing to, not do what I just did there, which is like, make sure everyone knows that I also believe the opposite before right. <laughs> I launch into having an opinion is, is very challenging and being very comfortable with ambiguity, I think is actually one of my strengths, like a core and perhaps in, in this urginess too is, and I think in dramaturgy, it certainly, it helps me in contemporary dance, my capacity to deal with ambiguity. Uh, that I can just sit and let something emerge. Like I'm used to rooms where something emerges quite slowly, often, um, and not in a, as rehearsal planned out as theater usually is. So I'm I'm used to that sort of emergent thing. And I think some of that- You had to, all of those superpowers were taken away from you in this situation. Yeah, those those particular set of superpowers um, were. I mean, there's. I think there's always ambiguity in this in in making anything, but 
the it was just differently placed like it wasn't i couldn't be ambiguous or or unclear in certain things because i knew the actors could work with language in a certain way like it was such a formal constraint that the only way to allow for the ambiguity that i was interested in which is that that and like with a very ambiguous dense production was the way that I could allow that to be true is to be super, super clear and incredibly choreographic and very honest about what my preferences were, which is not necessarily how I work on all of my productions. Why, uh, why not? It's a good question. <laughs> um, after, after, go, after me going on about honesty is so important. Sure. Uh, because... I mean, because my truth isn't the only one and, and that if as the director, I start giving my preferences too strong, the fear is, and the occasional experience has borne this out, that, that then people are deferring, um, to, as opposed to, as opposed to bringing their own, as, as opposed to bringing to their own stuff. So like the some of the small wooden shoes sort of problem solving shows <laughs> like here's a problem let's solve it like here's a list of seven scientific revolutions let's make a show about it mm-hmm. um and no i don't know anything more than you do other than here's a list of things that i think might be in the show but i can't particularly justify those uh, except that they're hunches and so now there's a problem of how to do that and we all as makers get involved in solving that problem and then and then at some point in that show in some point of that process something begins to emerge that we can sort of agree on being interesting and and then usually i go away and there's on and off periods of reflect on what just happened you know what was the most interesting part of it how do we turn that up and turn down the other stuff but it's because i don't know my own preferences at the beginning like my preference is that it be ambiguous for a while like that the preference that i'm expressing is actually there it's actually just a preference for ambiguity at a certain point and then there's a later point when i have a preference for a much tighter level of choreographic uh, input and i think that's often been a problem like the switching between those is really hard like that's what i sort of discovered in japan Uh, or new it, in Japan. Shifts the, it shifts the expectations in the room. Yeah, it's it's like it's sort of one or the other, and it may even, you know, it was much easier with in this context with Japanese actors, one who are much more used to it culturally in terms of what theaters, like we don't, we're not in rooms where I'm just telling Frank where to look on which line. Like that's not how we work. Um, but that's is that the way they work in Japan? I don't know that it's the way they work in Japan. They were much more willing to work that way with me. And it was became clear that that was sort of the, actually the best way to communicate. And then they would, of course, have variation and they would own the notes in a really beautiful way. And not they weren't just sort of doing, going through the motions. They were being super invested performers. But that the 
the thing of theater directing and all directing where you like psychologically manipulate the actor into making the choice that you want them to make. And you spend three weeks doing that and have them arrive at your conclusion. This, you know, the cynical way of. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, but, but the cynical way of, of, but of, of doing this thing where, where there's a like, Oh no, it's, you know, it happens in directing classes. You get told like, it's better if they think of it themselves. Right. And so there's this game of trying to get someone to think the same thing you do without letting them know that that's what's happening. And I don't actually feel particularly good about that. I feel worse about that game than I feel like the game of, um, I'm going to tell you exactly where to stand and when to move, but like your psychology is completely up to you. Like right. I'm going to tell I'm going to tell you if it's working or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also just remembering that I'm like, I'm a Bob Wilson nut as a kid. Like I'm a Robert Wilson fan of, and I learned theater. I learned about cool theater from pictures. Like I didn't, I never saw it moving until much later. Uh, so I really like still proscenium images. Right. Um, and that half my background is that sort of very formal stuff. And then, and then the more collaborative improv based work where I am not that same kind of leader because I'm part of the problems that I'm doing is creating this just massive gap that the performers have to fill because there's a gap there. Um, Did you, did you feel like the, did you feel like the Japanese actors, I mean, did you come to a good, did you come to a good place with it where you felt good and you felt like they got, they felt good? Yeah, I did. Um, And, and the best way to do it was to be clear, was not to stop, trying to treat every point like a conversation. Right. Um, like one, that was going to be a terrible idea according to translation to it's not who those group of people were. And this was a first meeting and, and we talked a bunch on and off with it about sort of on the small wooden shoe side of what it is to meet. Like, we, I mean, it was an intense experience for us. They were intense days and some days were hard and, and it was a totally different way. And I had to put like blinders on myself in some ways to not be thinking about what I was doing in the same way that I would be thinking about what I was doing if we were making a show in Toronto. What were the sources of the intensity? Do you think what, what was so? Um, I think there is a, and it's not incorrect um, or, and it's not, the whole picture either, but like there's, I mean, we just don't in the work with Frank and Evan and Amy, especially and a bit with Trevor. Uh, things being chosen because of one person's taste isn't ever explicitly talked about. I don't think it's not ever done, but I don't think it's talked about very much. Like, why a choice is being made is because I think it looks better. Mm. And I think in the, you know, mainstream theater, that's more common that, but we work in such a conceptual space. And I think like, and I think my anxiety around that is much greater than other people's towards me. Like, I think 
I feel more, I project my own anxiety about that work onto those people a bit, um, onto my collaborators. And so right, that they're, that they're, uh, that they're like that watching they're like me do this resentful. going like, what a fascist, like what <laughs> a fascist, but like just crushing their spirits, just not letting anybody like do their own thing. Yeah. That's, that's what the, the voice in my head is, is saying. Um, and so I have to put sort of blinders on from that and just go like, no, 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 I'm not. This is, this is not, I am not. I'm not a fascist. Uh, I'm not being fascist by doing this. <laughs> and and some of that, I think, is just honest. I, I have grown to understand that there are points when being that clear and, and owning that role is actually the most supportive thing I can do for other people. Um, it was certainly in Japan was true. Like, it, it would not have worked if I had sort of pulled everybody's opinions and really thought about them and you know I, we dedicated change direction a bunch of times on its way to being what it was and i'm very glad i could hold the ambiguity to let it change a bunch because if i had just held from the beginning to a single vision it wouldn't have been as good and antigone changed a bunch of times also uh, bunches and bunches of times through its development. But the, by the time we were in Japan, I just like the, the only way we we're going to get through it and the thing to produce the most interesting show. And I do, I think the show, I think the Japanese show was sort of the premiere of the most complete version of the idea of the show. Like, I think that's, awesome. that's the, like, that's the production of Antigone and we're going to try to do some traveling, convince people to fly some Japanese folks over here and see if we can do it again, places in Japan. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're like artistically very satisfying sort of the, you know, there's the weird voiceover, you know, part of it's in voiceover and part of it's not, I think that would worked very well with having a different set of actors in a way that made me want, to have like one set of actors who have to do all the psychological table work to get to a great read. And then another set of actors who like perform it, uh, perform those readings, uh, because it was sort of amazing to have the depth and scope of Mev's and Philip, uh, Mev Beattie and Philip Shepard, who were Antigone and Creon respectively, and yeah. Liz Peterson, and who had done all of, like, we did lots of improv. We did lots of experimentation. And all of those experiments and all of those improvs led to the basic shape of the show. Like, the sort of topographical shape of the show. And then I have tweaked that over the years and tweaked, you know. And then, and then we added to that a sort of, a formal constraint of facing either only being on 90 degrees, the actors only being either in full profile or straight on or back. Right. Uh, which is a no theater convention. And so anyone who was still in the play, Antigone, 
uh, was that like that and anybody who is dead in the play Antigone none of it's such a weird show to talk about yeah so they're and then so when they die they not only do they start speaking their own lines but they can also like not stand on right angles and that signifies in a way in japan differently you know what you were talking about earlier about seeing robert wilson stuff Mm -hmm. and and uh, to me you know i mean it's it's interesting because theater is a i mean the theatrical storytelling was is a moving living thing, but there's something about there's some, there's so many different ways that we interpret, interpret narrative or interpret characters. And part of that is where their bodies are standing in space mm-hmm. in relationship to each other in relationship to, and that, that, uh, that image, that image can be so, uh, it can be so powerful just on its own, but the, it's, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, when you're talking about, uh, clarity and precision mm-hmm. and, and the concern about being a fascist. Um, it's uh, how people, what people need in any, or feel they need in any given moment too, from, from their leaders or from the person who is designated as the leader in the room, um, and how that shifts and changes depending on like, even their mood that day, yeah. is leaves the, leaves the leader in an interesting position. Mm-hmm. And yeah. because there are moments when people need, and I, I mean, I feel this from working in art, uh, like in artistic, um, cr- you know, creation environments, uh, performing creation environments, but also like leading a, leading an, an organization or leading a staff on an organization. Even sometimes it varies from person to person in any given meeting. Uh, what their reaction is to me being precise and clear or my, or me moving the meeting along uh, and allowing or not allowing for a certain amount of exploration and how, how that shifts, how that shifts and changes person to person or day to day mm-hmm. and where my leadership style meets. Uh, Cause sometimes it's, sometimes it is very collaborative and sometimes it's, you know, pitter patter, let's get at her. Right. Uh, <clears throat> and so it's, the expectation, the expectation that you put on yourself or that you feel other people are putting on you or that p- other people are literally putting on you or actually putting on you literally isn't the word I meant. Um, <laughs> actually putting on you uh, are that, uh, that, that focus on, I mean, while, you're, while the leader's focus is outward or, or, or on something, there is a level of focus that's on the leader that uh, is uh, difficult to navigate a lot of yeah. the time. And I get very, um, I really want to work one-on-one with people in it. And I'm always, it's a funny thing in my head between what's, what's the group activities. In part because I can't, I can be this person who is negotiating between um, asking and answering questions with with one person, but like being watched to doing that, I find sort of even worse. Right. Than yeah. doing it, like I'm like doing it, I'm actually okay because you and I having this conversation, I I can trust the integrity of this. Mm-hmm. Um. More so at close range than at a distance, but right. like this this. The fact that we are, you know, and it's also why the giving notes in the hallway is hard is like, because that's not, that's about humiliation along with whatever the note is. 
Yeah. Um, and I'm so probably overly sensitive to humiliation as a thing that I don't, I'm trying to avoid um, causing people um, that I, that I, and also feel like terrified of myself, <laughs> which is probably why I'm terrified of doing it. Uh, so being watched to do the, to be giving notes and to being that kind of leader, like that's even harder for me than doing it. Or I can be performing and I can be performing the role of leader and that's, or of d director giving pre-show speech, you know, and I'm, and I'm sometimes good at it. Sometimes I'm bad at it, but certainly for me, one of the anxieties is not only, not only am I doing this, but I'm being seen to do it. Uh, and, and that I do, that I worry that, that, oh, we're just reinforcing power norms and those things. And, but I also know that I, I, I'm quite clear about saying like these, uh, and understanding these are temporary relationships. Like when I'm, when we're on break, me and Matsumi are both just interesting people. Like we're not anything higher or lower. Like there's not actually permanent status in this. There's just temporary clarity and that's okay. And if not better than looking constantly, I guess, I don't know, looking yeah. for, looking for yes. negotiating the sort of the power all the time is just like, Oh, for this three hour chunk, I'm going to agree to this, which is also like, for me, I'm going to agree to own my position. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to pretend like I'm not like, I don't have the final say and I'm just going to make, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, and that's Amy and people saying to me, and I've said it to people when I dramaturge, like, just make a choice. Like we just need a decision and you don't need to pull us all mm -hmm. and you don't need to think through every possible counter argument that someone could have, which is my yeah. tactic. You know, even before polling them, I think about all the things that they might say. <laughs> you know, <and> this, <laughs> this leads to great security on my part. Uh, right? And it's, it's, a, it's terrible. And, you know, it's also part of my skills is imagining the feelings of others. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, is to be clear, to be okay with my preferences... Which, and I think that's just, like, that's just deep personality stuff there um, around do I have a right to ask people to do what I want just because I think it's right. Right. Uh, like, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a deep, dark can of worms. Um, I just, I, I read, I don't know if you read this article, but <clears throat> um, there was an uh, opinion piece in the in the guardian recently and I, somebody posted it and I, I read it and I post, I reposted it cause I, and it's basically, it's like, uh, you know, everyone is winging it all the time. Mm. And, um, was the actual title, I think almost exactly. And, uh, it's, it's about, it, it's, it's this writer talking about, well, our expectations of, our expectations of world leaders or of, um, you know, anyone in our, anyone in our world, um, is, you know, when they make a mis when they make some sort of error. And I think they were talking about the New York times and how they handled, 
um, firing their editor and they talked about, um, you know, Obama and the, the website rollout for the, for the, for Obamacare and, and, you know, well, oh my God, I can't believe that didn't work perfectly. I can't believe that person didn't like that, that is an authority and how can that authority not know what they're doing? And, um, and the, you know, and I, you know, certainly from a, being in a, in a leadership position, I go, oh. You know, like I, I am often, I often feel as if the gaze that's that's leveled on me is is uh, filled with expectations of um, that I will always know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, mm-hmm. and that I will always uh, choose the right way to say things mm-hmm. or the most, you know, like any number of things that I imagine people are are leveling at me and um, or expecting of me. And I, I it was interesting because, of course. I read this article and it was it was basically about well you know it turns out everyone everyone is to a certain degree just sort of winging it and, and uh, which you know uh, they're winging it with the full sense of their you know the whatever experience they bring to mm-hmm. it and whatever their teams are bringing to it and all that sort of stuff but that that <clears throat> sense that we're all that and I'm not sure whether I, I often think about well is everyone expecting me to be perfect or am I expecting me mm-hmm. to be perfect? Or do I think everyone is expecting me to be perfect yeah. or, or that I will always be able to perfectly articulate everything I'm saying. And uh, I, I'm trying to get out of that loop a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's really hard. It's very difficult to get out of the loop of, um, I mean, what, what everyone need. Well, I feel like what everyone needs for me right now is this. Mm-hmm. I don't have that. Uh Oh, like, yeah. what do I, what do I do? Everyone, I clearly I'm failing at this. Mm-hmm. I'm clearly failing at this, um, which is, you know, negative self-talk. Yes. Um, but it's also, it's also a pretty valid feeling, like a, a sense of self-awareness, yeah. which we were, we were discussing earlier about, you know, that, uh, that that's, that love, that self-awareness is, um, can be quite valuable actually, yeah. uh, as long as one can process it. But it's, but it, it it's in those moments of great pressure um, where i've sometimes i've sometimes come up with something that that works just that works fine that mm-hmm. is good uh, or is probably better than anything i could have done if i would have sat and thought about it for a long time yeah. but it it's yeah that 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 uh, that expectation on the leader and and uh, accepting that we're not accepting that we're not going to be perfect or that or accepting that this moment is this moment, and then the next, you know, what you were just saying, the next moment or, you know, lunch hour, lunch hour, there's this meeting, and then there's lunch hour, and then there's tomorrow, and then there's next week, and then there's the rest of my career. Yeah. And it's hard to think about, it's hard to think about that continuum uh, in in that moment where everyone's looking at you. Mm -hmm. Really difficult. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, at various points, I have found it, paralyzing of like part of me is like I don't know everyone go home like a part of me wants to say that and then and then there's some times where I'm like I'm just gonna you know it's the fake it till you make it and there's also lots of times I mean lots of times in this where like people could or would step up and sort of take the pressure off for a few moments there uh towards the end of the day you know and we made a decision to shorten the days like it was like oh we cannot actually sustain this um but you... all that to say that like the the places where 
I feel like the team could see that. And once, and we had gotten better, you know, we, we were rehearsed for seven days. Like we had a crisis at, you know, we had the crisis, we had all of the rhythm crises of rehearsal. We just had them in a shorter period yeah, of time. Yeah, much shorter period of time. Um, so, you know, the first day I was too jet lagged. I was trying to like ask for everyone's opinion on every move. We were working very small sections. It was a terrible idea. It was like, it just was going slowly and, um, everybody was always looking at me in a way that was very hard for everybody involved. Uh, and then, you know, good check in with crew and trying other things. And we found a rhythm that, that worked. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I just to agree on the sort of one, I have those moments of being like, just pretend you know what you're going to say. Uh, I mean, Anne Bogart, famously to me talks about that she'll yell stop from the back of the room and have no idea what to do right. and then walk down through the house and by the time she gets to the stage she sort of has to know what to say to them yeah. uh and and talks about that in i think her stuff on violence and talking about the violence of directing which right. has been an incredibly hard and complicated thing for me to think about because I've right. been working in these forms that are like very, sort of radically nonviolent. And, yeah. Yeah. And even if that's not always the sort of moment to moment experience, they, the work, the work largely with public recordings has a lot of that feel to it, right. That we're trying to make something together in, in a, uncommon proposal about what togetherness might mean in making art. It's interesting when I externalize, you know, some of those, you know, when I think about um, uh, the pressure or the, you know, whatever that's, that sense is of like how people, uh, how, I, how I'm doing my work and how it's perceived, mm -hmm. basically, which I think is what we're kind of talking about um, by us and by other people. Um, I've tried to externalize occasionally and go okay, well, I'm just going to look across, I'm going to look across to someone else who's doing a similar thing right now to me mm -hmm. or, or in moments where I'm not actually in charge. Um, uh, watching the person who's in charge with a great deal of empathy, mm -hmm. <laughs> like massive amounts of empathy um, and going uh, and thinking to myself, am I, am I, am I, cr like, would I criticize this person the way that I'm criticizing with that way I criticize myself mm -hmm. or what am I seeing that this person is doing well? And what, what are the, what are the things that are not quite working for me and why might they be happening? And it, it's, it's interesting. Cause I find that, um, when I do that, I learn a lot. Like I learn mm -hmm. so much about, uh, you know, even in moments where I'm, where I'm having that conversation with myself about, um, you don't seem to know what you're talking about or you, uh, I think maybe, maybe that joke was ill-placed or something yeah. like that. Um, and I'll, I'll try to, I'll go, okay, well, other people have, other people have been in this situation and been just fine. You're not any, like, you're not any different, mm -hmm. um, than any other number of people who have been standing at the front of a room 
having a conversation about something or trying to get people to um, create a list of things. Like yeah. this is, uh, this is, uh, it's, it's both magic and not magic what you're doing right now. And uh, you're, and so you can do it. You're capable of it. Um, and uh, you know what? If everybody hates you when you walk out of the room, then uh, that may have more. That, like and this is a tricky thing. That may have more to do with you. That may have more right. to do with them than it has to yeah. do with you. And you know what's interesting too? Like fear. Let's talk about fear. Yeah. Because I, I'll often say, um, I've said it about dramaturgy. And I say it a lot about other things uh, that I do now, um, is that I feel like a lot of the time, what I'm essentially doing is managing other people's fear. Yeah. Trying to effectively manage other people's fear in a room. Because, um, uh, and, uh, you know, I learn a lot from my own fear, my own fear that I seem like a failure, my own fear that I seem like I'm being too flip in any given situation, that I don't actually know everything that's happening or I don't actually know <clears throat> everything that's going on, um, that I don't know enough about technology, that I don't know enough on this topic to be an expert. Like, the, the, and, and the fear of just being an open, curious being in a world where knowledge, like where knowledge is, knowledge or, inf not knowledge, sorry, information, where mm -hmm. information is so valued, um, that being an open, curious person is not actually, it's not, it's not good enough. Right. Uh, and, and everybody brings a certain amount of that fear into the room. And so acknowledging it in myself is kind of valuable sometimes. But also, I'll sometimes look around and go, okay, so the reason this person seems, why is this person reacting the way that they're reacting? Yeah. They're, they're afraid. They're afraid. And so how do I, and fear can be productive, but a lot of times it's how do we... Fear is the mind killer. We, hmm? Uh, sorry, quoting Dune. Uh, uh, fear is the mind killer. That's there you go. Something. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Dune. That's perfect. Like it's it it's a perfect you know articulation of it. And I kind of go, oh, that's what's actually that's what's actually ruining everything right here. Yeah. This is or this is what's ruining this conversation. Or this is what is allowing us not to get not to get places. And so I manage like I manage the way that I I manage the order in which I ask questions. Right. Or I'll shift that. Yeah. In order to bring to bring the fear down or to make someone feel more capable. Because yeah. ultimately, I feel like that—that's what I'm doing as a yeah, yeah, narrative structure, totally narrative structure, absolutely. Or um, working towards the vision of what somebody like what somebody wanted to say with a piece, and whether any given individual moment is is supporting that or not. But ultimately, what it is is sometimes it's fear of not succeeding with people, and sometimes it's fear of succeeding, mm -hmm. and how then the pressure that succeeding in something puts on people sometimes too, right? Um, because again, they're winging it to a degree. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like being able to sort of see the fear in the room um, and uh, and manage that, mm -hmm. manage it, because it, it's always going to be there. And it's actually, as they said, it can be productive if it's if it's if it's if it's channeled or if it well, becomes it's excitement, it becomes right? Like it's yeah. it's and is excitement it's getting energy. channeled outwards into the thing. Or is it like resulting in anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Like that thing of like, why is this person asking me this question about this thing now? Like, that's crazy. And you're like, oh no, they're worried about that other thing. Yeah. And this is a question that can be asked. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like my sense of orders of questions are not 
like I have to share them. I have to say, like, I acknowledge that question and I'm not going to address it right now. Like that is a question for three days from now. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's very much managing other people's expectations and my expectation. I think, you know, I think of it that expectations and energy and, and fear of, of both the, the not being enough or being too much like that. That's all incredibly terrifying. Um, and I think, I think we're also both a certain kind of empathetic person. Like I take that on. So, too much like like again also part of what i think makes me good at what i do yeah. but also something that makes it quite hard to do sometimes mm-hmm. and i was japan i was much more i was very pretty strict about self-care not necessarily in like i had some fun with sochu and Saki, um, like we certainly were being social. Yeah. Um, but I was really limiting of how that happened in before. Like I just, I have a limited amount of energy. And by the time these past two days, but I was like, by the end of it, I was overwhelmed of people and of being out and about in people. Uh, because there's a lot of energy going on and there's a lot of dealing with feeling other people's fear because you're in a fucking rehearsal hall doing a show in a week. Like, of course you're terrified. Yeah. Like, of course we're all like, that was part of that was, and we were pretty successful. It was like the, that was the real goal of day one was like, we're going to do, we're going to run the show. We like, we danced around and we ran the show in in a way that nobody was prepared to run the show. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, to, to, to prove that you could survive it. Yeah, just to prove that, like, it'd be fine. Yeah. We'd survive. Like... Yeah. yeah. And and to know where we're at. Like, we can't... Like, what we fear most is that we're not... We don't know any... You know, and, it's, and it was totally... Like, we walked in both, both sides of the Japanese project, like, walked in not knowing each other. I didn't know their company. I didn't know their actors. How would they be... You know, they didn't know me. Didn't know any of us. Yeah, and it was just like, how do we loosen up this insane amount of fear that is yeah. that I am feeling mm-hmm. um, and everyone is feeling? Uh, and that was a lot of the work, right? And that's that's an old, you know, one of the conversation starters is the when doing something strange, it's best to be relaxed. Yeah. Which I think is from, I think I said the first time I've ever, I've ever said it, I said it as part of a pre-show thing for uh, one of the early researches on dance songs. Mm. Or maybe, no, not dance songs, on manual, for instance. So very early, Amy Henderson and I working together. Um, and I used to sort of just perform all these things at showings where, they're like, and do you want to say a few things? And the real answer is no, uh, but you feel like you have to. Uh, so I would 
I hosted those basically for public recordings for the first number of years. I, and, you know, in a very dramaturge way, like the job the dramaturge does of doing the pre-show speeches, um, I would do those, but they would be these like attempts to get people to relax basically. Yeah. Um, and just so that, you know, so the audience wasn't afraid so that the performers weren't like that. We're just doing a thing chill out it's fine um yeah that that's the that trying to process that fear in the room and in myself i mean why all the shows start with like us being on so frequently start with us being on stage before the show show starts and i'm you know i, I can look at that and think that i'm just dealing with my own fear about starting the show and so if we start by playing Jenga for 15 minutes, like we've gotten over the crazy adrenaline portion of walking out on stage. Yeah. And we can start with just like the normal, like, being oh, present part of it. we're being present. We've, yeah. we've taken the time to be present um, with an audience and they've taken the time to be present with us and they've been present with us as performers, not as characters. Like they we have a, a, a odd but clear baseline of, of a relationship and now we can move from there. And that, that is where, where we will start with this new podcast, Urgy, uh, discussing all things as if they were dramaturgy. Vicky Stroike and myself, Jacob Zimmer, uh, we will be back more regularly now. I, I promise. You can find us online at smallwoodenshoe.org under podcasts. I'm at Jacob Zimmer on Twitter. Vicky is at Vicky Stroike on Twitter. Please send us feedback or thoughts. It's really great to hear uh, what what people think of what of what we're talking about, and also, of course, just that you're listening at all is is a lovely thing to know. It really is. Anyways. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, get us at, at Twitter or, or at smallwoodenshoe.org. What we're listening to here, by the way, is Holy Coast with The Beach, The Beach, uh, from the Free Music Archive. We'll have a link to that and other things we talked about at Smallwood and Shoe. Have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>